A few weeks back, about two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, take an amazing trip to uh, British Columbia with my wife, and uh, it was our first time on a plane together. My parents watched our kids and the dog, and we were able to stay with Christine's sister, for, uh, who lives in BC, for uh, four nights. And so it was an awesome trip. Uh, I had the opportunity to go and see huge trees and uh, hug them, and they were just amazing, right? Just big, big trees. Just to enjoy the smell of the forest there, it's just different. The cedar and just the ocean air, it was beautiful. I had the opportunity to drive this beautiful road all the way up to Squamish uh, to see a fish, fish hatchery, see salmon and see awesome birds like bald eagles and golden eagles. Um, had an opportunity to climb up a mountain and uh, climb the chief and look out and just see the beauty of the mountains in the distance and beyond those more and just, it was incredible. I even enjoyed public transit there, all right? They have uh, the sea bus that you can take from uh, Vancouver to North Vancouver. Even that was exciting and fun, all right? Just hiking and going on suspension bridges and all of those different things. Um, and, you know, while you're in Vancouver, you can always just remember to look up and you get to see mountains, right? But you got to look up and look north and you see the mountains and it's just exciting, um, we even went to Stanley Park in the pouring rain and walked around for hours and hours and didn't even complain. And, uh, you know, we wish our kids were there. Um, that was our scouting mission, so we'll bring them the next time. But one of the things that Christine's sister, Renee, said to us, she's lived there now for eight years, um, is she, just, she showed us around for three of the days, um, of the four days we were there, and she just said, you know, it was great to be able to see uh, BC again through your eyes, through your excitement, to be able to see it, you know, that you enjoy the, the trees and the, the ground and the smell and everything like this. And she was like, it was refreshing to be able to see that and experience it through your eyes and uh, anew and kind of fresh. And as we come to the Christmas season, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do as we look forward to Christ's return, as we look forward to that, because the reality is sometimes we just get bogged down in the day-to-day -day of the mundane, of taking public transit and not enjoying it, of uh, getting stuck in our work, of not looking up to see the beauty of what is all around us. Now, that's not just the beauty of what's here. What we're speaking about in this series of Advent is that we're talking about rejoicing in the King. And today we're talking about rejoicing in the King who is worthy of our praise, it's this reminder that as we go through our lives, we need to lift up our eyes to remember that our King, our Lord, is worthy of our praise. We can't just keep our eyes down and, and go through the motions. We need to stop. We need to be refreshed. We need to remember that He is worthy of our praise. So as we jump into Psalm 96 today, if you don't have your Bibles open, you can open up with me, uh, and there's pew Bibles in front there, you can follow along, but Psalm 96, we're going through Psalm 95 to 100 during our Advent series, we're here Christmas morning, so join us if you want, if you don't have somewhere else to go, or still join us. Um, and so Psalm 96 starts with this in verse 1 to 2, 1 and 2, it says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord and praise his name. Three times in the first verse and a half, it tells us to sing. And that's the first thing of this song. As we go through today in this psalm, we are reminded to sing. We are reminded to lift up our voice, to lift up our voice, to sing. And the first verse says, sing a new song. 
Now, this passage of Scripture wasn't written specifically for us today on December 4th or whatever it is, 2022. It was written specifically um, about an event back in the Old Testament, actually in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And you might be familiar with the event, but back then, what was happening was, this was happening when the Ark of the Covenant, which the Ark of the Covenant was uh, very, very important to the Israelites because it represented God's presence and his being with them. It had been taken from them. You can read about that in Second uh, Samuel 6-ish, around in there. Um, but it had been taken from them. And they won a victory, and the ark was returned. They got it back. And upon returning that ark, David is taking the ark of the covenant back or to Jerusalem at this point. And Psalm 96 is part of 1 Chronicles 16. There's more in that song, which recounts the praise and the joy that they were experiencing. And so this new song was that God showed up. God showed up in amazing ways. See, they had took God for granted. God had been with King David in the nation Israel. They had won lots of wars. Um, they had, David had listened. But then what happened is they took this ark and they used it as a trinket, like a, a rabbit's foot and like a good luck charm. And they brought it out and they just thought, if we bring this out, we can definitely win this battle. 30,000 of them lost their lives and the, the ark was taken away. It's now brought back. And so as it's being brought back, this was not a somber occasion, okay? This wasn't like, yeah, the ark is back. This was, if you read the account, there are tons and tons of people involved. All the instruments, harps, lyres, trumpets, people are doing cymbals, people are dancing. This is actually the occasion where King David danced so hard that his wife was embarrassed, now, that happens every time I dance. My wife is embarrassed. But <laughs> um, here, King David, as the ark is coming back, is just singing and dancing because he is so excited. And from that, we have this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, that doesn't mean we stop singing old songs, okay? All right? So we continue to sing and remember what God has done. The nation Israel remember Passover. We remember Christ's coming. We remember the Lord's work every time we, or the Lord's work on the cross every time we take communion together. We remember things, but the reminder here is that God is still working today. God is still working in your life and in my life. If you see a child, you know, we celebrate them, we get excited when they learn to walk, when they make a little coup, when they roll over. Like you can go through, we'd be here all day celebrating the things and praising all the cute little things that kids do. And uh, God does amazing things in our life today. So we celebrate with a new song. That could be you writing it. That could be finding a new song. And we lift up our voice because God is new. we got to remember to lift our eyes and be like, God is still working. We need to rejoice because the king is worthy of our praise. He continues to work in our lives. And so, as it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. There is an invitation. Scripture uh, within the Old Testament and the New Testament, 500 times it talks about um, making, like singing, uh, a joyful noise, um, and just referencing singing. And 100 times there's a command to sing. So I think it's pretty clear that as a church, we've already experienced some congregational singing today. Maybe not everybody sang. Um, and I think part of that is just this reminder for all of us that we are called as we come together and in our life to sing, to sing 
with our voices, right? And some of you might think, oh, I don't like to sing. Um, maybe you're macho, or maybe uh, and you're like, I don't like to do that. Maybe you think you have a terrible voice. I think it's important here that it says in all of this, it doesn't just say what we're to do, it's to say who we do it to. It reminds us of who the audience is. And the audience that this scripture is talking about, that King David knew, and which is addressing to us, is we are singing to the Lord. We sing to the Lord, not to the person to your left or your right. And maybe it's not about, um, you know, you're embarrassed. Maybe it's just you're a shy person, right? And you're like, I actually don't like to pray out loud. I don't like to sing out loud. Maybe just close your eyes and sing. Lift up your voice. Pretend nobody is around. And just sing. Sing with us and listen to everybody else. But there is a command here to sing, that we should do that. And it's... Um, what we're called to do. Now, there's also a reason why we sing as it continues here. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Um, this isn't why we do it, but the all the earth there, this psalm, Psalm 96, and we're going to see that throughout the, uh, all of the psalm, or a few of the psalms within um, our Advent series. It talks about all the earth here. You know, in the Old Testament, it, it really focuses in on the nation Israel, Right? God's covenant people, God's chosen people. And you would think that after this amazing victory that King David and the nation Israel has experienced, and this song is coming, you would think it would just say, hey, Israel, worship God, sing to him. But it says all the earth. And in fact, this whole psalm um, reminds us time and time and time again of the universal reign of our Lord. Right? So as we talk about rejoicing in the king who is worthy of our praise, that's not just a call for us or those who have bowed a knee to the Lord and given their life to him. This is a call and a reminder that God is good, that Jesus is good for the entire world. He is good for all nations, for all people, in all places, in all times. Our Lord is good. And so this scripture passage reminds us um, in verses 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 10, and 13, that many times in this passage, that this message isn't just for people that believe. It's a call to hear the good news of Yahweh, to hear that he has acted and he has done good and that we should respond in worship. That's what this passage is all the way through. So it says, sing to the Lord, uh, all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. The idea there of proclaiming his salvation day after day, the same word proclaim, it's like to tell, to tell of the good news. Sounds very familiar to what? Luke chapter 2, which we read today, where the angels come and they proclaim that uh, they come and they say, uh, glory to Lord, verse 9 in Luke chapter 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shot around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be a great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord and this will happen to you. And it kind of goes on and then after the I like that story, we won't go into it too much, but the shepherds go around and they find out where Mary and Joseph are um, in obedience. They find Mary, and then it says in verse 20, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. That's the right response, right? But in there, the um, angels are there and they're saying, um, glory to the Lord on the highest. We bring you good news that will be a great joy for all people. 
That's the good news. As it talks about here, proclaim his salvation day after day. We are proclaiming the salvation of Jesus day after day. In Advent, we look forward to his coming, right? As a, we, look, we remember that, that he came as a child after 400 years of silence. That silence was broken and Jesus entered our story as a man. But we also look forward to the day of his return. And so every day as we rejoice in the king who is worthy of our praise in this first three verses, what I want us to see is that we are called to sing because the news that we have is good. We're called to sing because the news that we have is good. And that good news is we are to proclaim his salvation. The salvation that he won and that he bought on the cross for us. About his life, his death, his sacrifice for us, his ascension into heaven, and his promise to return. This is the joy that we have. So we are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The good news there, as you know, is good news for all people right? I've said that already. Good news for all people in all places and all times. It's not like if you won the lottery, anybody will win the lottery this week? No? Okay, that's good news for you. Could be good news for us if you share it. Or, you know, if you got engaged this week, that's great news for you. And, uh, but you know, if, um, <laughs> not pointing any fingers, um, but the good news of Jesus that the shepherds proclaimed in this instance is good news for all people. It's the equivalent of a new king who has taken the throne, who is good and fair and just and kind and loving and judges with equity. This is the king. This is the king that has taken not just a throne for one little country, but for the whole world. That's what it's talking about when it talks about good news. That is something exciting. That's what we celebrate. That's why as we go through, we're going to see that David can boldly proclaim, and we can still boldly proclaim today, that Yahweh is the best way, that our Lord saves, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's it. That Jesus is the only way. So as we continue on, um, that's what we see in the first three verses. Oh, and it says, declare his glory. We're not going to go through all this. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Say all the amazing things that he has done. Declare them. A few years back, um, I was at a garage sale many, probably, I don't know how many years ago now. Let's say 10 years ago. I was at a garage sale, and as I was walking through... Um, we're always look, I'm always looking for a deal at a garage sale. I found somebody selling um, my favorite board game, Settlers of Catan. And uh, it was actually the expansion. It was Cities and Nights. And uh, it was like $2 or something like that. And I was like, whew, that's a good deal. Now, normally I would just take that. I'd pay the $2 and I'd walk away and I'd be like, yes, I scored. But in this case, I was actually kind of offended. And the reason why I was offended, I look at that game and I'm like, $2. I'm like, do you think this is worthless? And so I went to him, and I'm like, why are you selling this game? I'm like, have you played this game? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, you know. And so I went on to explain the game. I said, have you ever been playing this game before, and you just didn't want it to end because it was so much fun? That's what this does. It makes it go longer. I'm like, you don't want to get rid of this game. So in the end, he kept, he kept the game. He didn't sell the game. And I don't know if that's just because he thought I was crazy and he wanted me to go away um, because I gave this passionate plea of, uh, and this endorsement of this game or if he actually wanted to try it. I'll never know. But, you know, as I endorse that, as, as we are called to praise God, that's what we're doing. We're endorsing 
who God is. When we lift up our voice in praise, we're saying, God is worthy. This is good. This is amazing. You should participate in this. You know, when I was thinking about that, it got me thinking, if I think God is this good, he's worthy of my praise, he's worthy of my worship, um, if I'm called to rejoice in this king who is worthy of all of this, what do I do when I know somebody who has seen and tasted the goodness of God, they've seen him in the sanctuary, they experienced his goodness, and they're just like, you know what, that's not very good. I'm going to just kind of walk away from that. Do I go like I did with this game to this man or to a person and say, hey man, why, why have you given up on Jesus? Why have you given up on worshiping the king of kings? Do I try to convince them and listen to them? What were you worshiping? What was it about? Why did you all of a sudden give up? Do I try to, um, again, just from my perspective, share and endorse why God is so good and why it's good for them? And so that was one of the things I was thinking in that. As we go on to this next passage, or the next verse, 4 to 6, it stops, starts off and it says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. You know, that praise, as I kind of said, is about, you know, when we praise something, we're giving it approval. Um, it's our admiration for it. And, you know, we praise lots of things in life. I praise my children, I praise my dog, I praise lots of things. You know, hockey teams, we can celebrate all of these kind of things. But this passage in verse 4 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And that's the reminder for us here. The reminder isn't that our Lord is just, He's good, He's great, yeah, we should praise Him. He is most worthy of of praise. And what we see in this, sec this next section of 4 to 6 is that we are called to praise. We are called to praise because the Lord is most worthy of our praise. The Lord is most worthy of our praise. We're going to praise other things in this life. And it goes on and it says this. It says, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. Now, in the Hebrew, there's a word play there, which I only know through commentaries, because I don't know Hebrew. Um, but as it talks about that, it says, all these other gods are actually, and then it says, gods and idols. And the word for gods and idols in Hebrew are very, very similar. Just two letters in the middle are different. And it, instead of saying God, it says, like, worthless things. And so all these things that you think are gods are actually just worthless things. It doesn't quite work, but if you take God and you say, oh yeah, all of your gods, and then you say God backwards, it's like dog, right? It's just play on word that you take this greatest thing and then you turn it into dog. There's this play on word there where God, is for them, their gods are just these worthless things. And because our Lord is most worthy of praise, and then it goes on to kind of put down the other idols of the world as well. And it says, For the gods of all the other nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Just reminding um, David here and for us that everything else that we put our time and our attention into and that we have the tendency sometimes to really, really fixate on, we put our hope in these things way too much sometimes. As one commentator said um, here, uh, in other words, what they treat as a god really has no power. It has no life. This means that we can buy all the cars, the houses we ever dreamed of. You can get the trophy spouse in the corner office. You can wrap your fingers around every joy held out by this world. But you'll never know a rest 
You'll never know rest a day in this world without Christ. Every trinket, self-help solution, or man-made religion is just one more in an endless line of broken cisterns that hold no water. And so the reminder here is that all these other idols, they're just worthless. And that we worship the Lord who made the heavens, not just a created thing. We worship the creator and not just, you know, who made the, the earth but the heavens, and here it means that it includes everything else as well. It's just to take their mind and go, boom. And this is like from the perspective of David. And so in our day and age, with the Hubble telescope and all of those kind of things, and how we, like, if you kind of search up how big our world is and how far it is and how far we've actually gone within this world and traveled, when you realize that our Lord created the heavens and spoke them into existence, you start to just like, realize how incredible he is, that our king really is worthy of worship. He is most worthy of praise. They didn't even know how big the universe was back then, but, but uh, King David is still willing to say, for all the other gods are nations, because he knows that his God made the heavens and made him. And it says in verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Splendor is kind of like this grandeur, and this majesty is like this beauty and this dignity. And then again, strength and glory. These are all things ascribed to a king. And so in Psalm 96, it's all building to this uh, in verse 10, where it talks about the Lord reigns, and this whole theme of Advent is rejoice in the king who is worthy of praise. And so all the way out, these, these descriptions of his splendor and his majesty, his strength and his glory fill his sanctuary. That's nothing what, what these other things are, are worshiping, these idols. So it builds it up for us and it reminds us we need to lift up our head and look. We need to sing because the news that we have is good. We need to praise because our Lord is most worthy of praise. And as it carries on now, um, the next section in verses 7 to 9 says, Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So now the word ascribe is repeated three times, which is similar to the first part of Psalm 96 where it says, sing, sing, sing. Now it's this idea of ascribe to the Lord. The idea of scribe, ascribe is like to give to the Lord, assign to them, give to the Lord, give to the Lord the glory that is due his name. So it's assign him credit, assign to the Lord, give to the Lord all you families or peoples of nations. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Just that reminder that we are called to worship God because our God is great. Our God is great. And we are called to give to him the worship that is due him. Give to him the worship that is due. It says, um, as it continues on, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the, Lord, the glory due his name and bring an offering and come into his courts. Scripture reminds us here that we are to come and to bring something. You're going to go to maybe a Christmas dinner or some kind of event, and if you do, um, oftentimes at Christmas events or family gatherings, you know, you contribute to a meal. When you show up and you go, okay, what am I going to bring? Okay, I'll bring the buns, I'll do this. When we have fellowship meals, um, when we share in a meal together, you are called to bring something. Bring something in to share with everybody else, right? Now, and at Christmas time, you also think about gifts. Um, I like loose leaf tea, board game. No, just kidding. Um, 
when you think about gifts for people on your list, and oftentimes we have people and we go, oh, what, what can I get that person? What do you get for somebody that already has everything? Well, as we read here in verse uh, 9, it says, or 8, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. What do you give to God? I'm pretty sure God has everything, created everything, right? Here's the great part. We've already, been sing- we've already talked about what he wants. He wants us to lift up our voice to him. That doesn't cost anything. Sing to him a new song. Praise him. Tell of his goodness, of the amazing things that he has already done. This is what he wants us to do in the Old Testament as well and in the New Testament. He wants us to bring an offering, to physically give back some of the things that he has given to us. That's our tithes and our offerings, giving back. Not that we're, we must understand everything that we give back to the, we're, we're literally giving back to the Lord. It's not ours, right? He has given us all these things and we give back to him. We're giving to him, not because um, he lacks something, but because of reverence. We are offering to him something because we ascribe great value and splendor and glory to him, and we want to give to him out of obedience to say, you are worthy of all of this and so much more. And it goes in not just our tangible things, but the things that we can do, our thoughts, our dreams, our hopes, where do we go when we're hurting, what is our, just our ambition. And so these are some of the offerings, but it tells us, bring an offering. We are called to bring something to the Lord. He wants us. He wants our hearts, our lives, everything, right? Give of ourselves. As it continues on, it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Now, I think in, and then it goes on and it says, tremble before him all the earth. I think David is, you know, it reminds us of the passage in Isaiah where it says, uh, Isaiah goes in, and Isaiah gets this glimpse of God, and then he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Isaiah's vision was unique, okay? But the idea there is, I think, in this worship, there is this reverence. There is this reverence because of his holiness, and his grandeur. And so, we got to remember, our God is great. So we worship him. And finally, as we continue on, verses 10 to 13 remind us um, of this. The fourth word is just rejoice. And so we're called to sing because the news that we have is great. We're called to praise because the Lord is most worthy of our praise. And we're called to worship because our God is great. And finally, we are called to rejoice. And here's the part. We are to rejoice because our king is coming. Right? That's what Advent is about. We remember this. As Christians, we remember and we rejoice because our king will return. These verses here kind of look forward to the day as, uh, that creation will no longer groan, as it talks about in Romans. Romans talks about how all of creation is groaning and is hurting because of sin. And this looks forward to the day that that is reversed. Because as it says in verse 10, say among the nations... All right, that our Lord reigns, again, to all people. This is not to us. This message is good for the world. This, good, this message is good for your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors, and the people everywhere in the world. We say among the nations, our Lord reigns. That means our Lord reigns today, 
as well when David says this because King David experienced God reigning. We know that he has conquered sin and death, right? The lives here where we, as Scripture says, have gone from death to life are proof that the Lord reigns. He reigns over the powers and principalities of this world. Now, God hasn't yet set up his complete dominion on this earth. That doesn't happen until his final return. But he reigns now. He has authority, all authority, now on this earth. And we are called to say among the nations the Lord reigns. Now, it's interesting to think about this because David wrote this. And King David wrote this um, about in 1 Chronicles 16. And just before that, in the book of Chronicles, it says this about David. It says in 1 Chronicles 14, verse 17, So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was said of me, I would probably have a pretty big head, right? My name and my fame spread throughout all the land, and everybody feared me. Yet here he is dancing, and he is writing this, and he's not saying, hey, ascribe to me glory. He's not saying, praise my name. David is saying, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He is pointing it clearly where he is. He is king. He has power. He is there, and he says, the Lord reigns. That's our reminder here. Rejoice, because the king is coming. That's what it says as it continues on. The Lord is firmly established The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. So this is looking forward to a day that has not yet come. All right? And even David is seeing that. And we remember that now. We remember that we rejoice in the king because he is worthy of our praise. But we remember that our king is coming. And so listen to this. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is exciting and good news for us if we have already bowed our knee for, to our Lord and Savior. If we haven't, then it's bad news, right? But that's why we are called in the process of worshiping our king to sing because we have good news, to go to all nations and share this message. You know, we have our Missions Week for two Sundays. (laughs) Missions Week is every Sunday and every single day of your life because we are called to go, to go and share and sing and praise and to elevate our worship of God. Look, if if we look like it's a chore to worship and praise God in our own everyday lives, nobody else is going to be interested in that. Right? We need to sing and praise and say, God, you are working in my life. Rejoice in the King. Show in our own lives. That's the question for me and for each of us. Do I make it look like, do I worship our King because he is most worthy of praise? Do I show that he is most worthy of praise? So as we continue, as we have seen in here, the question is, are you singing? Are you worshiping? Are you praising because our God is great? And are you witnessing to the nations And are you watching expectantly for our Lord to return? Because we need to rejoice because our King is coming. Amen.